0: Well, hello Coastal Small, Small Group Leaders, I am here with Pastor Andrew, and he and I, uh, Sean is uh, out today and uh, has some other appointments on his schedule, and so Pastor Andrew and I are here to debrief uh, Pastor Sean's sermon from yesterday based off of the questions that you guys submitted to us, uh, so thank you Pastor Andrew for hanging out. I'm glad to be here. So I'm going to read you a list of these questions that we've received from the small group leaders, and I'm just going to kind of go through it, and then you and I can uh, just dialogue back and forth, and um, Josh will keep us on task so that we finish this in a timely manner. But um, question one is this. Pastor Sean preached uh, on the law of God this week. Um, Who are you voting for in this year's election? (laughs) (laughs) None of the above. That's none (laughs) of the above. So it says so, question number one really is this uh, Describe succinctly the role of the law before you become a Christian and the role of the law after you become a Christian.
1: I think that's a great question. I think the Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans 7 when he talks about the the, obviously the law is the schoolmaster or it demonstrates our need for Christ. And so before you're a Christian and you've believed and received Jesus Christ, repented, believed, and received Jesus Christ, I think that the law is extremely important for those that, you know, recognize that I'm a sinful person and I need something. It's why the church needs to have a very pure position on, and a clear delineation on sin, because it demonstrates our need for Christ, sin is going to lead to death romans six twenty three but it the before Christ you need the law to recognize hey i i need i I'm in need, I'm a needy people, I'm a broken person i everything I'm trying is not working and um and then after Christ, then the law i mean is different, and i mean I obviously you can speak to that,
0: yeah no i it's it's a um, the law of God, it, it, I think a lot of times when we even communicate the gospel and I thought Sean's done a good job over the last few weeks is he really started with God. We don't, uh, a lot of times we don't keep in mind that the gospel starts with God and we get to know who God is through his perfect word. And a large part of that is the law of God teaches us the type of God we serve and what pleases him. And when we hold that up to us, uh, we realize that we're, utterly incapable of being in a relationship with God because we can't accomplish uh, what pleases Him. And and so we, it's Romans 3 stuff, there's none good, no, not one, none seeks after God. We're incapable. And I think Paul, even in Ephesians chapter 2, right at the beginning, he goes as far as to call us dead in our trespasses. And so we, I don't think we can know that apart from the Holy Spirit convicting us that we're absolutely incapable of keeping the law. And so for me that's that's kind of piece 1 as far as the role of the law for the unbeliever. And then the second part, you know, some of what you were saying, the the role of the law f- for the believer isn't okay, now we discard the law because we have grace and now we're free we're free from the law. Right. Um we're certainly free from the penalty of being transgressors of the law, but now we actually have the capacity to be obedient to the law.
1: Right. Well, we should it, have the
0: desire to want to be obedient to the law.
1: Yeah, I mean, because we have the Holy Spirit, yeah. and the Holy Spirit is beyond the law. Remember mm-hmm. what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. He says, you know, With the fruit of the Spirit, you demonstrate these things, these evidences of the Spirit of God in your life. And he says, and there's no law. You don't need to worry about the law. You don't need to worry about keeping the law because the Spirit of God is greater than the law. It, yeah. it it because of the gospel at work in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Therefore, it's far greater than the law. Yeah. And the law was insufficient to save, yeah. and it's in, in, insufficient to keep us. You know, following after Christ. It's the Spirit of God that allows us to follow after Christ and to continue to believe the gospel. Yeah. So yeah, that's no, it's
0: cool. great. The and this wasn't. Uh, this is just kind of a little sidebar. But if you could, if if there were uh, there's a Christian in, in in this small group that one of the small group leaders are are leading, and they're they're new to their walk with the Lord. Um, what would be some just some initial advice that you would give these small group leaders to help nurture the faith of someone in their small group that's. Just learning obedience to to the law of God and to the Word
1: of God. Yeah, well, that's a great that's a great point and it's a great comment, especially as Pastor Sean was talking about on Sunday. Um, it, I think a lot of it comes down to remember God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. I think the law of God uses to break the hard hearts, especially in the story with the rich young ruler. What did Jesus do? He gave them law. He, he said, you know the law and the commandments and the prophets. I mean, and the, the rich young ruler said, well, this I've done since I was a boy. And Jesus said, yeah, but one thing you lack. And it's interesting that word lack is the same word in the Greek in, as Romans three twenty three that says, for all have sinned and fall short. That word short and lack are the exact same in the Greek. So, I mean, he's fallen short. Um, it's not that he kept the law in some capacity, it's that he hasn't kept the law in all capacities. And so that just reveals the arrogance and the pride. He wasn't broken. So God gave him, Christ gave him the law. So when you're sharing Christ with somebody, are they proud or are they broken? And um, I mean, and then when you look at what, how did Jesus deal with The woman that was caught in adultery, did he give her law? No, she knew she had broken the law. She knew that she was an adulterer. What did Jesus do? He came and gave her grace. He gave law to the proud and he gave grace to the humble. And I think that that's that's important for us to understand, especially as we're walking as a new Christian. You know, am I arrogant about the law? Am I arrogant about trying to keep the law? Or am I broken and recognize that it's Christ who keeps me? Mm. And it's Christ who gives me grace when I fall short of the law. And I need that just reinforces the need for Christ. Yeah. And I mean, is that, is that, do you understand that, that process? And I mean, what else would you tell um, a new believer? How else I, would you?
0: So I, I think some of it is, is putting some practices in place that help to cultivate this sensitivity to the things that God hates and the things that God loves Um, I think we become, even as Christians we become callous to that so quickly Um, and I think a mark, I was actually talking with a buddy of mine about this, but uh, I think a mark of spiritual maturity, look at Romans 7 and you talk about, you see the Apostle Paul making this statement that depending on what translation you're reading could be extremely confusing, but he's essentially saying I don't do the things that I want to do and I do the things that mm, I, yeah, yeah. I,
1: I don't want to do. Did I say that right? I think, I don't want to do... The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't That's do. That's it. Yes.
0: And so I, so you see the, the Apostle Paul wrestling, and, and I've heard some pastors talk about this is him thinking back to when he wasn't a believer, and I think that it's a mark of spiritual maturity. Like, I, I think as... Um, the Apostle Paul at this point is growing. He's recognizing more and more his rebellion toward God, the depths of his depravity. And then he quickly gets to Romans eight one, which is, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I think it's beautiful that those two passages are squished together there right. uh, in Romans. And, and so I would say even just to the new believer, uh, uh, be sensitive toward your sin. Be quick to repent of your sin. And be quick to um, remember that in Christ Jesus, uh, you stand before God com- completely clean, not because of your own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. Right. And, and to put disciplines in place, a small group, I think, being one of those disciplines that can help remind you of that, um, because we're prone to f- forget it, which is why there are 66 books in right. the Bible to remind us
1: of it. so Well, and I think that that theme is through all 66 books. Yeah, you have, I mean, Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, well, the first thing he said wasn't, I'm here, Lord, send me. Yeah. What he says, is, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm yeah. a man of unclean lips. So he recognized his own sin, and he was, I mean, and he was probably one of the most righteous guys in Israel. Same with the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. Romans 8, he deals with, and that's why I love Romans 8 when it talks about the idea of adoption. Yes. I think about my son. You know, when my son messes up, he's still my son. He's still, um, you know, as as much as he messes up, I would rather have him messed up and a messed up, broken son than not have my son. And I think Christ and the Father is the same way. He would rather have us messed up and broken, but we're still adopted as His children. We're still His adopted sons and daughters. And and I think that's that's important for us to understand. Because he's the one that's going to keep us. He's the one that's going to seal us. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, So here's here's another question uh, that was submitted. Is repent and believe a continual process or a one-time transaction in the requirements for salvation?
1: I think it's both. Yeah. I, no, I think for some people, I, I, they have that they they have that Pauline experience where they see the risen Jesus, or they have that moment of salvation. Yeah. And I think for others, it's this it's this process of of seeing and understanding, you know, Christ. Um, and I mean, the Apostle Paul talks about that. He says, "Work out your salvation with mm-hmm. fear and trembling." Yeah. He talks about this process. But at the same time, there's also this hey in acts sixteen thirty one he says, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved i mean that that speaks of transactions. So I mean, is it a transaction? Yeah, but it's also a slow withdrawal for some people. Yeah. I think it depends upon the way that God has made us it's well, you know it's the idea of if you've grown up at a Christian home, I prayed to receive Christ when I was eight, I prayed to receive Christ when I was fifteen. Was I saved at eight or was I saved at fifteen? Well, it doesn't matter I'm saved now, yeah which one really took well the idea is is that process of of working at your salvation with fear and trembling it's coming to know more fully who Christ is yeah. and his work in my life each and every day yep and that's that's important getting hung up on you know this having that one definite spiritual birthday for some people i think is extremely important and for others it's like you know i and I can't tell you that moment, but it, it, it was this process, and all of a sudden, but I believe it. Yeah. I mean, both those people I would put up and say, man, they they they're, they are saved. Yep. They passed the test. Yep, absolutely. I, um,
0: I tell people a lot. So I grew up, had the opportunity to grow up in a church that the Lord used tremendously in my life, but now looking back on it, there are certainly unhealthy things that I remember from that upbringing. And... Uh, and one of them was this pressure to remember the time, the date, the smell, the <laughs> mess. I mean, you had to go through kind of this list of things that you had to remember about this conversion experience. This one time, you know, this moment that, that you should have had uh, when you prayed the sinner's prayer that, you know, I think Sean's addressed multiple times. That, uh, And if you didn't remember that, then the validity of your salvation was immediately called into question. And as a kid, I remember that. Being extremely confusing to me, um, and and so uh, just knowing, and even this week I'm preaching on First Corinthians chapter 15, and and the Apostle Paul uses the language. Um, I'll pull it, I'll pull it up real quick here. Um, he said, "I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, past tense, in which you stand, present tense, mm-hmm. tense." And by which you are being saved, which is this it seems to be this perfect tense indicating right. now and and right. the future, continual yeah, to this the continual thing, and and so I, I tell people all the time that are struggling with their salvation, like how do I, you know? Sometimes we're we're struggling, we could be struggling with that because we're not maybe we're not Christians, and right. and there there needs to be this repentance of sin and this trust in in the Savior, um, but sometimes it could be because we. Uh, we we have this baggage from this certain upbringing that's causing us confusion. And, and so I try to bring clarity when conversations I have with people is yesterday's gone, right? Tomorrow's not promised. All we have is today. And the scriptures speak to today. Uh, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Right. It's, it's don't be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. And so it's repent and believe the gospel today. There's this quote. I was actually pulling it up because when you said something that reminded me of it, it was, this is a Piper quote. He says, uh, But if over the next 10 or 20 years, John Piper begins to cool off spiritually and lose interest in spiritual things and become more fascinated with making money and writing Christless books, if I buy the lie that a new wife would be exhilarating and that the children can fend for themselves and that the Church of Christ is a drag and that the Incarnation is a myth and that there's one life to live, so let us eat, drink, and be merry, if that happens, then know the truth is this. John Piper was mightily deceived in the first 50 years of his life. His faith was an alien vestige of his father's joy. His fidelity to his wife was a temporary passion in compliance with social pressure. His fatherhood was the outworking of natural instincts. His preaching was driven by the love of words and crowds. His writing was a love affair with fame, and his praying was the deepest delusion of all, an attempt to get God to supply the resources of his vanity." Yeah, that's a powerful, it's a powerful comment that I, that I think speaks to
1: perseverance is that those who the Lord captures, he perseveres to the end. Well, and I, it goes back to the Holy Spirit, but I think it also goes back to this idea of, like when I think about it in marriage, I don't feel married every day. Yeah. <laughs> There's times that, you know, that my wife and I have our struggles. I know you're surprised. I know <laughs> we have the perfect marriage, but it's that idea of, you know just because I don't feel married doesn't mean I am married yeah. so it doesn't cause me insecurity yeah i am married and i and what's great is we're married to Christ you know yeah. we're the bride he's the bridegroom it's that idea that we're married to Christ and we never have to worry about him leaving us yeah we never have to worry about him walking out on us and so there doesn't have to be any insecurity because he's going to be the most faithful most loyal and most loving every time. Absolutely, And that's what motivates us to persevere. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, so that's the external motivation, but then there's an internal motivation of the Holy Spirit of God working within us that's drawing us closer to Christ, where even when I don't feel like it, I know based upon the Word of God and based upon the Holy Spirit of God and the Church of God that we're Mm -hmm. moving towards that until yeah. christ returns or we calls us home yeah that's good our our faith isn't
0: based off of feeling right it's it's um it's right. it's rooted in it's uh, i heard somebody talk talk um i think it was a pastor about how we can't um we can't be reminded of what we know is true by how we feel we we just need to be reminded of the truth. Sometimes you you just have to remind yourself of truth and trust that your emotions are eventually going to catch up with it. Right. Right. And, and, uh, and so I think we have the, the, to kind of summarize that answer, you have the, the, two answers really is um, there are some people who claim to be Christians who won't persevere because they were never Christians to begin with. Right. And so we need to examine ourselves in light of the gospel. And then the second part is the believer that's just struggling with doubt that needs to uh, remember that you can't base your faith off of what you feel because there's going to be days that you don't feel saved. There's days where, Uh, you don't feel married as you said, but you're still married and Christ, um, uh, is the author and he's the finish of our faith. And if we can't do anything good enough to earn it, we certainly can't do anything bad enough to lose it. And that brings me a lot of comfort.
1: Right. And security. Yeah. That, that, I mean, I am, I am secure in Christ because Christ got me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: The, uh, how much time do we have left? We're at 18 minutes. Okay, so just really quickly, in in a couple of minutes, I want to conclude on this question. Um, How do uh, you—we have a lot of small group leaders that are uh, engaged in uh, these relationships uh, that God's brought in their life, um, their lives with unbelievers. Uh, You know, we probably have all—we can all point to unbelievers that we're in a relationship with. How do we— um, evangelize and promote the gospel to unbelievers in a way that's uh, caring and personable and relational.
1: Well I think it, it our country right now is in a very um, divided time I mean there's so i mean the the election the um, you look at all of the the different shootings between the police and the people and I mean all of the different uh, racial tensions and and all of these things and it, everything is pushing to divide, divide, divide. And um, you know, I think coming in and looking and just loving um, the individual, saying, you know, look, I love you, and um, sharing Christ is is one of those things that hey, you know what, when when you come to the end of your rope, Christ will be there. I think some people want to continue and engage in sin. I'm not ready yet. I don't want to do this, but God is starting to work in their life through conversations or through people. I think you need to love them. You need to pray for them, and and, and at the same time, um, if they're arrogant, law to the proud. If they're broken, then grace to the humble. Um, you know, it, it's salvation comes to the point where where we recognize we need external or outside intervention it's uh... if if my boat goes down in the middle of the chesapeake bay and um, the waves are crashing over me and i've got a life jacket and i have a short amount of time before i'm gonna live there's no way i'm gonna be able to swim anywhere there's no way i'm gonna be able to go anywhere what do i need i need outside external intervention i need a helicopter I need coast guard to come out with a helicopter yeah, and, and save me. It's the same with Christ. And so we're looking for the people that are looking to be saved, um, that God has been working in their life. He's allowed their their boat to crash and he's allowed them to be into this point And he's, and He's and he's gotten them to the point where they're ready to respond. I mean, I think that goes to the, you know, Jesus uses the analogy of the farmer. There's some that are preparing the field and, you know, and some that are, you know, are are working the hard soil and some that water and got there's some that plant, but it's God who brings the increase. And so I it's it's looking at all of those things. It's loving and it's praying and it's sharing and it's and it's being who God's called you to be. And um and just you know, looking I have a relationship with people with fifteen years that are not believers. And uh, 15, 16, 17 years, but it doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean I don't pray for them. I know who they are. They know who I am. And we continue to talk about these things. And when, they're alive, when their life gets a shipwrecked, they know I'm the one to call. And, and that's, that's what it is. Because if we view salvation as transactional, then if they refuse that transaction of receiving Christ, you look and go, well, okay, burn in hell you know that's not loving at all yeah. they already but, said no yeah. i'm not hey, i'm never going to bring it up again never have to talk to you yeah. again I, I check it off my but it's my box. that idea of that process of okay they said no today yeah, but tomorrow yeah. they could come to know christ or the next day they could come to know christ or the next day and so it's my it's my hope that at some point they're going to come to know christ and so I'm going to continue to love them and continue to, to to share with them and to be who I am and they be who they are, which is bad English. But, um, I'm and talking to a Georgian, so <laughs> I'm with you. But it's that, that beauty, once they do receive Christ, they know where to go, that you become that resource. Yeah. That when their life is shipwrecked and they're ready for the outside intervention, then you can jump in the water with them, because that's what's so beautiful about the Coast Guard. You know, They always have that one diver that jumps in, and he's the one that hooks up the harness so that to pull them out. And if Christ is the helicopter, you're the one jumping in the water with them with the storms. You're the one that's hooking them up and they're being pulled out. And you're, you're, you're part of that. Now you're not saving them. It's obviously the helicopter that's saving them. But it's, it's you're in the water with them and you're loving them and you're working with them because you want them to know Jesus. I want people to know my Jesus. Yeah. My grandma always used to say, do you have your ticket? That's how she would talk to people. Do you have your ticket to heaven? Um, you know, and people would always go, "Excuse me," you know, and she would say, "Do you have your ticket to heaven?" And it's, it's this idea of, "Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know my Jesus?" And um, we've got to recognize that it's a process, and and you might just a conversation, a word, something, and maybe there's somebody else that's praying as well, and somebody else that God has at their work. And so all of these people that God is using in their life for them to come to know Christ, and that, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's, it's at work in people's life through the power of God, and we just have to open our mouths, and we have to speak. And uh, that's, you know, I, it's, I love watching people come to know Christ. It's, it is, there's nothing like it. And, and God has called us to share the gospel with every tribe, tongue, nation. That's good. Amen. Well,
0: thanks, Pastor Andrew.
1: Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. All righty, that's it.